Welcome to the podcast of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. We are a multi-generational community of grace on mission, and you are always invited to join us online or in person. Learn more about us at sevenriversvillages.org. And to share God's word with you, um, as Dick pointed out, my last sermon was January 8th at uh, Christ Evangel- Grace Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Leesburg, and I used an analogy with a first-time visitor today that I'm the relief pitcher today, the starter is coming back next week, but imagine a relief pitcher that hasn't pitched for five months, might have lost something from the fastball, so I need you to pray for me, pray that I would be able to declare God's word with clarity and commitment and pray for you that the Lord would give you ears to hear and not only to be hearer of the word but doer also. So let me do that. Let's go together to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, our Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. You've promised in your word, Lord, that your word does not go out and return to you empty, but will accomplish its purpose. And so we pray, Lord, that that individual purpose, which may be different for each one of us, would be accomplished today. Lord, that we would be faithful hearers of your word. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, would you turn to Matthew, the 10th chapter? I'm going to read the first 15 verses. This story of Jesus sending out the 12 apostles is in all three of the synoptic gospels, the ones that see together Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But Matthew gives us the most complete story, and so I've chosen that one. Listen, for this is the word of God. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the twelve apostles, this is the first time, by the way, that the word apostle is used in Matthew. It means one who is sent out. A disciple is a learner, an apostle is one who is sent out. The names of the twelve apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. Notice Matthew refers to himself by his previous life. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, Go nowhere among the Gentiles, and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And proclaim as you go, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pay, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey, or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food." Notice that Jesus is talking about a short-term deal here. And 
He doesn't trust them to go to the Gentiles. They're not ready for that. Whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Do you remember your first job? I vividly remember that uh, my first job was in 1964, the summer between my junior and senior year in high school. President Johnson had set up this Job Corps program for poor inner city kids like me and three of my friends. We got $5 an hour which was incredible in those days. And I was the junior assistant apprentice custodian at a junior high school. Uh, my boss's name was Bob Rogers. He was the first Mr. Rogers uh, that I met, not in any way comparable to the one who came along later on. Mr. Rogers was a very kind man and he gave us good instructions. Uh, my primary job that summer was to clean and scrape all of the old paint from the swimming pool and then to repaint it with this heavy-duty acrylic paint. It took me pretty much all summer. Uh, Mr. Rogers told me that when the pool was filled, none of us was allowed to swim because the insurance wouldn't cover that. But I really didn't think he meant it. And, uh, you know, I was, at that point, I had my life-saving badge and you know what's it going to hurt if I just swim a few laps so I finished I snuck a towel in and everything uh, I swam a few laps and then went back and uh, finished the day but as I was leaving Mr. Rogers said uh, don't come back tomorrow and I said what he said I have a question did you swim in the pool when I told you not to well, I had become a Christian about a year before that, and I knew I shouldn't lie, and I said, yes, I did. How did you know? He said, well, I saw the footprints outside the pool, and they were 12 inches long, and you're the only one with feet that big. <laughs> so I failed at my first job big time. Um, he, being a kind man, said, I can either fire you or I can dock you a week's pay. I didn't have long to think about that. Dock me a week's pay, that was a good bit of money, but I wanted to keep that job. But I learned something really important through that failure, and that is when somebody in authority tells you a directive, it's not a suggestion. It's a command. I want to talk this morning about failure. I believe it's in this passage. And the big idea is this. Jesus expects us to fail. And he accepts our failures. But he wants us to fail forward. 
Now, did you notice at the beginning of this passage something truly remarkable? In the first four verses, we have the disciples slash apostles listed. Most people just kind of skim over those name lists, right? Those lists are significant. And particularly significant is what Jesus gives them. Now, we, we think of Jesus being able to heal all kinds of diseases, to raise people from the dead, to cast out demons. Amazing. But what about somebody who can give other people the power to do that? What would we say about him? I think we'd say that's God. This is one of many infallible proofs in Scripture that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah, God in the flesh. And so Jesus gives them these amazing abilities for the first time. And notice, he gives them to all 12, including Judas Iscariot. There's no indication of Scripture that Judas wasn't able to do this, along with the other disciples. They come back to Jesus and they say, Lord, the spirits were subject to us. We cast out demons. And Jesus says, don't marvel in that. Marvel that your names are written in heaven. That's more important. I believe Jesus gave that power to Judas. We'll talk about him a little bit more later on. <clears throat> but here's the other amazing thing about this passage. The disciples go, they heal people, they cast out demons, perhaps even raise the dead, and yet there are people who will not receive them, who will not listen to their words. Jesus tells them to expect failure. You're not going to reach everybody. He gives them a very simple prescription. Shake off the dust from your feet and move on. Now this isn't the only time that Jesus expects his disciples to fail. In fact, at the end of his life, there's one failure after another. Here's Jesus facing death in the Garden of Gethsemane. My soul is troubled unto death. My brothers, would you watch and pray with me? Three times Jesus goes further and he's praying to the Father. He comes back and there's his disciples fervently praying for their Lord and Master. No, they're sleeping. Three times. <clears throat> Jesus says to them, here's a prophecy they will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Only one of his chosen twelve go to the cross. The others are hiding in fear. In that same passage, Peter, of course, says, Lord, even though these other schmo daddies are going to deny you, I'm your guy. You can count on me. I will never deny you. Amen, amen. Truly, truly, I say to you, Peter, before the clock or the cock crows two times, you'll deny me three times. 
Jesus is not surprised when we fail. How about us? I believe Jesus expects that we will fail. And all of us here can relate to that. Some of you have failed at marriage. Some of you feel, at least in part, a failure as a parent. Broken relationships with family and friends. And then there are the countless daily failures. Martin Luther's definition of a Christian, he said we are simul justus et peccator, at the same time justified and a sinner. We sin continually. Do you ever wonder why we say that confession of sin in the service? And why you're exhorted to confess your sins regularly? I had a guy in my last church who strongly objected to the confession of sin. He said, Pastor, Jesus has forgiven our sins past, present, and future. Why do we have to do this confession? Well, my response to him was simple. Jesus told us to. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The word confess means to agree with. We agree with God that we have failed. We have fallen short. Now, can we confess all of our sins? I'm not aware <laughs> probably of half of my sins. Neither do I remember them. And the same is true for you. But here's the issue. Of those sins you are aware of, that you do remember, you need to confess them. Psalm 66, 18, David says, If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have heard me. In other words, if we love our sin, if we're unwilling to confess it, we create a barrier between us and God. Doesn't mean he stops loving us. Doesn't mean we're not going to heaven. But we have erected a barrier through unconfessed sin. Confession is a gift that Jesus gives to the church. He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Scripture makes it clear that not only does Jesus expect us to fail, but he accepts our failures. Look at the great men of faith that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. Start with Abraham. Abraham was a coward and a liar. He was willing to sacrifice his wife to save his own skin. And not once, but twice. And yet, what does the New Testament call him? Abraham, the father of the faithful. And how about Moses, the great lawgiver, murderer? He flees into the desert to escape the punishment that would have come to him from Egypt. And then God calls him to deliver his people. And God trains him for 40 years to be their leader. But guess what? He still hasn't overcome that anger problem. And he strikes the rock rather than pointing his staff as God told him to. And he's 
Not allowed to go into the promised land. What does the New Testament call Moses? Moses, the man of God. And how about my namesake, David? The greatest king in the history of Israel, the golden age of God's kingdom. David could have had any single woman in that entire kingdom. But what does he do? He chooses the wife of one of his mighty men, Uriah. He commits adultery, and then he tries a sneaky trick to get Uriah to come back from the battle lines and sleep with his wife so everybody will think he's the father of this child. It doesn't work. And so what does David do? He kills Uriah. He's responsible for his murderer. Who is David? The New Testament calls him a man after God's own heart who accomplished God's purposes in his generation. God accepts our failure in his grace. His grace is greater than our sin. But you know what? Some of us find it very difficult to forgive ourselves. Are you one of those folks? The Holy Spirit leads us to conviction, to confess our sins and be cleansed. But it is Satan, the accuser of the brethren, who tries to discourage us. Satan wants us to focus on our failure, to masticate our mistakes, to replay them over and over again. You call yourself a Christian and you did that? What if I'd done that instead? Or if only I'd done this? <clears throat> when God forgives, friends, He forgives totally. The Holy Spirit enables us to fail forward. As it were, to shake the dust off our feet and move on. I think the second, second greatest inventor in American history is a man named Charles Peppering. He was second to Thomas Edison. Peppering was the head of research for General Motors. He invented the automatic transmission, the self-starter, high-octane gas, and a number of other important inventions. But he estimated that he had 500 failures for every success. He was once asked, how do you keep from being discouraged by the failures? This is a great quote. I shut the gate on my failures. I never surrender leadership in my life to them. I've learned to fail forward. I love that expression, to fail forward. That's another way of saying, shake the dust off your feet and move on. Isaiah 52, 12 says this, The Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. If we'll shut that gate on failure and accept the grace of God, God will <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> guard it for us. Thomas Watson was the CEO of IBM, and they were going through a slump. 
and the board of directors said to Thomas Watson, why is the company not growing? And he said something memorable, there are not enough people out there making mistakes. When you make a mistake, when you fail, it's not that you've accomplished nothing, but you've learned something. If nothing else, not to do that same thing again. I read the Book of Lists by Irvin and David Wallace. <clears throat> and they list Nobel Prize winners, excuse me, Nobel Prize nominees who lost. For example, Leo Tolstoy lost to a woman named Sally Prudhomme. Henrik Ibsen, the great dramatist, lost to Bjornstone Bjornsson. And Mark Twain lost to Jacinto Martinez. These people did not allow a painful setback to keep them from pursuing their calling. I know of Christians who have allowed a painful setback to keep them from pursuing their calling. There is not a paragraph from the past that can keep you from writing a new chapter in your life. I believe that God has important work for every single one of us, even those who retired. We can accomplish much if we're not afraid to fail. The message of the cross is that our sins and failures are redeemed. When Christ hung on the cross, Satan thought he'd won. It looked for a moment as though it was the greatest failure of any religious leader in history. And yet, by his death and resurrection, it's the greatest victory the world has ever seen. We're born again in Christ to a world of new possibilities. Failure is not the last word. Opportunities for failure and for success come to all of us, sometimes through the same experience. I want to read from you one of my favorite devotional books. It's called Every Moment Holy. It's written by Douglas McGrath. Um, some of you have probably seen Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, much more popular book. I like this one a whole lot better. Um, <clears throat> they're both a dialogue between the believer and Christ. Uh, let me read this closing prayer. Lord, let my fears of failure drive me to you to collapse upon your strong shoulders and there to rest. Reminded again that I and all of your children are always utterly dependent upon you <clears throat> to bring to completion the good works which you prepared beforehand for us to do. Indeed, Christian, take heart in this revelation. The success of your endeavors is never yours to judge. He works in ways you can't comprehend. Even what you judge a failure, God will use to greater purpose. If this is true, what greater end could <clears throat> be uttered? Excuse me. I can't read my own writing. Intend to work, could you intend to work from my failing? Who can discern, but consider, might your tender father use even your failures and weaknesses to make you more humble 
and more sympathetic to the failures and weaknesses of others, thereby shaping your heart into a nearer likeness of the heart of Christ. Use then, O Lord, even my failures and my fear of failing to advance your purposes in my heart and in your kingdom and in this world. My confidence is only in you. And let me pray. Lord, you are the redeemer of our lives from sin, and you are the redeemer of circumstances. We believe with all our heart that all things, even our failures, work together for good because we are the called ones according to your purpose, and we love you. Lord, show us in the days to come the importance of quick confession forgiveness, restoration, and then give us the courage to step out in faith, not to fear failure. We ask in your strong and blessed name, amen. Thank you for joining us on this podcast, a production of Seven Rivers Villages Church in Wildwood, Florida. Learn more at sevenriversvillages.org.